Well, I woke up Thursday morning, and, uh, and it just kind of blew my mind that 2003 was over. Uh, did, that, did that hit you this year at all, where you just go, wow, it's already 2004. And so what I did, which I usually do on New Year's Day, was I, I started to think. My mind just started thinking, okay, what do I want to accomplish in 2004? Okay, what are my objectives? What are my goals? What do I want to, because I want this year to count for something. And, and so I started thinking, okay, 2004, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you see, one of my, uh, one of my many weaknesses is that uh, I tend to look to the future all the time. And I'm always thinking about what I want to accomplish and what I want to do. And I've got to get this done and this and this and this. And, and that's not all bad because then you get a lot of things done. But uh, the downside is that a lot of times you miss out on the moment. You miss out on what's going on right that second because you're always thinking about the future. But the, the bigger problem is that you don't take time to reflect on the past and thank God for the past. And Thanksgiving is a weak area in my life, and I think a lot of it is because of that. I'm always looking to the next thing and asking God to help me with this, help me this, help me with this. And so I caught myself this year, and I just stopped, and I thought, you know what? Let me look back at 2003 and just start thanking God for everything that happened in 2003. For the first time in my life, I took New Year's Day to actually reflect on the previous year and thank God for it. And it was amazing. You know, I went through my calendar. I just went through January, February. And I was like, wow, I forgot that happened. I forgot that happened. And I went through month by month, you know, and just looking at the things I did each day. And I, I was blown away at how much took place in the year 2003. And just one month after another, I just started thanking God. God, thank you. I forgot about what we went through as a family in February. And I forgot about this in March. And I forgot, I forgot about our Easter service, you know, and, you know, and, and what happened there. And I for, and just went on down the line. And I realized this was an incredible year. What an amazing year 2003 was. And have you taken any time to thank Him for it? I challenge you, before you get all into the planning of this year, this week, would you just take your calendar from last year and just go through the months and just start thanking God? It's an amazing experience because it will blow you away how much God was in your life, especially for those of you guys who are really praying for that. Um, remember in... Uh, remember in uh, beginning of 2003, how I said, you know, let's make this the year of prayer. Let's make it the year where we individually pray more than ever, and we as a church pray more than we ever have. And we did. As a church, I don't know how you did individually, but we started these prayer meetings, you know, just in my own personal life, just, just more committed to praying. And, I, and I've gotten many emails from people who said, you know what, thank you. Thank you for 2003. Thank you for the emphasis on prayer. I pray to God more than ever, and I'm addicted now. It's like I just, I can't live without it, and it has changed my life. It's been the greatest year of my life. Thank you for the emphasis on prayer. And so if you did not jump into that, um, I encourage you, man, don't look at, well, I already missed 2003. I'm not going to pray. You know, I mean, you got to look and say, no, 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 this is the year. i got to go for it. And remember, remember how in the beginning of the year I said, hey, when we, when we pray throughout the whole year, what we're going to do is at the end of the year, we're going to look back at 2003, and I guarantee you we will be blown away by what God has done in this church. Remember I said that? And what I want to do is just real quickly tell you some things that happened in 2003 because this was a very, very unique year in the life of the church. If not in your own individual life, man, as a church body, the things God did here this year, were, they really are astounding. When I started putting the numbers together and thinking it through, it really blew my mind. Do you know how many people were baptized in Cornerstone last year? 
think in your mind, how many people were baptized? There were over 600 people. Think about that. That's, a, that's an amazing number of people. It was like 621. That would be like, if okay, you just leave that one section out, okay? You guys are still pagans. But the rest of this, I mean, that would be like all of us from this side over being baptized this year. That's a lot of people. I mean, how many churches in America even have 600 people in it? And for that many people this year to say, you know what? This is a year I'm dying to my old life and I'm going to walk with the Lord now. And I was trying to think, gosh, I don't, I'm not sure that we had this many people in the previous eight years put together as we had in this one year. You guys, that was incredible. It was an absolutely amazing year. When you count out the number of people that went out on short-term missions that got involved in, in helping around the world, I'd be surprised if, if we didn't have more people last year than we had in all eight years added up previous. We gave more money than ever before to the poor. Hundreds of thousands of dollars that you guys gave, to, that, that we gave to the poor this last year. It was an incredible year. Remember Easter service? Was that just one of the most incredible experiences when we were there at Moore Park Stadium? And we just filled that place up. 5,500 people, the largest service that's ever taken place out there. You know, we just, we just look one thing after another at all the things that God has done. We started a school in Uganda. We did a pastor's conference. Just an amazing year. And, 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 and I bring all this stuff up because, you know, when I look through the Old Testament, and, and, you know, look it up in your concordance sometimes, but God constantly is telling the Israelites, remember. He does. He tells them, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember how I led you through the desert. Remember the food I provided for you out in the desert. Remember when I read, you know, part of the Red Sea. Remember this, remember this, remember this. And, and they would set up memorials. They would remember the things that took place. That was very important in the heart of God. That we remember what He's done for us. That's what the, the Lord's Supper is all about. Remembering His body, remembering His blood. Because so often we think about the future. We forget about what God's done. And you guys, God's done so much in our lives. Man, don't forget that this year. Don't just dive into 2004 without thanking Him. In a few weeks, we'll be studying Luke 17, where there's a story of those ten lepers. Ten people have leprosy. Jesus heals them all. One of them comes back to thank Him. And Jesus goes, I thought I healed ten people. Where's the other nine? Because that's the way we are. You know, God does something huge in our lives and we just move on to the next thing. And it's so important that we stop and remember, would you please do that this week? I'm telling you, it is a powerful experience just to go through this last year, month by month, and start thanking God for everything. You know, when, when we started this last year, uh, Doug Fox, our executive pastor, came in my office and he says, I just want to talk to you about something. And, and uh, he says, I've just been thinking. He goes, you know, he goes, we're both 35 years old. And, and, and I just, he says, you know, if we really want to do something on this earth, he goes, when are we going to do it? You know, now would be the time. He goes, in ministry, he goes, you know, early on, you know, there are all those years where you're working on your character and you make so many stupid mistakes and there's so many character issues and flaws that you're working through. And then, you know, and then you get to this stage, you know, where we're married now, where, we, you know, we've got a couple of kids, this and that, and have this church going. He goes, but if we don't do something huge right now, pretty soon we won't have the energy to do it. <laughs> I was like, no, you're right. 
You know, that he goes, well, people who start things, you know, do huge things, they, they have to start now. He goes, yeah, we'll have the maturity and we'll be a lot more mature later on in life, but will we have the energy to create something, to start something, and really be used by God in that way? It's like, you're right. You see, there's different, there's different ways. I mean, he goes, and when we're elderly, there's a whole different phase in our life where, man, there are things that we'll be able to do then that we'll never be able to do right now. There'll be a wisdom and there'll be an ability to, to talk to people and, uh, about raising kids and about marriage and about all these things. We'll have a right to talk about so much when we're older that we can really build into people's lives. He goes, but as far as starting something huge, when are we going to do it if we don't do it now? And, and I just I bring that up to you because I, I never really thought through the stage of life I was in because I, I, I sometimes miss it and I think about the future too often. But look at wherever you're at in life and, and realize, man, this is a unique time for you. If you're, if you're still in high school or junior high, understand that you will never have another opportunity than what you have right now. You know, where, where you're going to school and seeing the same people every day and you can actually build relationships with that many people. You will never have another opportunity like that. To have that many relationships and be that focused on relationships. Because later on, it's just it's harder and harder. And you, you know, you work with a couple of people you see every day. It's not like in school. And your opportunity for evangelism will never be the same as what you have in high school. Take advantage of it. Don't keep thinking, oh, wait, wait till I get to college. But, yeah, and college is unique. College is you finally have freedom. Yeah, unless you're living at home still. You know, but, uh, you know, that, that freedom of, man, I can do whatever I want. And, and we've seen so many of our college students here use that to the glory of God. Where we have college students that are staying up till, you know, midnight, one, two in the morning, out walking the streets, sharing their faith with the homeless people. I mean, just doing crazy things, you know, going overseas, going here, going there. I mean, it's an incredible time of life. When you're single, you know, and you, and you get a job, you graduated, and you, and you know, you're not totally tied down, and you, you got this money, you got this time. I mean, it's an incredible phase of life. Then those of you who are married, that, that don't have kids yet, have fun okay enjoy it i mean you you just don't you, you a lot of times we look forward and we go oh man once i have kids but you don't understand how good you have it when you you're free you know and it's like hey we can take off for the weekend we can do this we don't do that we don't have to run i mean it's just an incredible time such a fun time in life that you don't want to miss it and then when you have your kids you know, and, you, and they're still little. And, and here's where I'm at. You know, I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. And, uh, and the whole thought of, you know, I start thinking, okay, when they get in their teen years, you know, that's when I really want to dig deep in their lives. You know, because that's, that's when, you know, they're going to face a lot of things and this and that. And, uh, and, I, and that has just been my focus because I do so much with youth ministry. I go, man, when my girls are teenagers, man, I'm, I'm really going to dig deep. And I remember a friend just hit, you know, talked to me a couple of years ago and says, you don't understand. When your girls are teenagers, they don't want anything to do with you. I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. He goes, you know, now is the time where you want to dig deep. He goes, don't miss out on these years because you want to wait till they're 11, 12, 13 years old. He goes, but that's sometimes they start pulling away. And you better have a lot in the bank. You better have a lot invested in their lives. I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. You know, parents that do have teenage kids, man, understand they're going to be out of the house soon. You've got another couple years and this is it, the, the end of your, your major influence in their lives. Oh, you'll still be a part, but it's just going to be so different. And, and, and you start looking at life and you realize, man, there's all these different phases. And then once the kids are out of the house, man, what a great opportunity you have to serve the Lord then also. You know, because now there are so few people that, that really teach on parenting. You know, that they can teach from their mistakes and from their victories.
You just don't hear about it a lot. Talk about marriage. Those of you who have been married for, for years. Man, to build into some of these younger couples and, and to, to help the, the youth to, to, so that they don't make the same mistakes. Man, and those that are elderly, I mean, what an incredible stage of life. You look back, you've experienced things, and you've gained a wisdom that, that no one my age has. You just can't get it in life outside of time. Some things you just have to live through. And there's this wealth of wisdom, and I hope you're not just hoarding it for yourself, that you're really using it for others. And really to be thinking through, look, it probably isn't long before you'll see God face to face. Let's face it. You know, we don't like to talk about death and stuff like that, but some of you, you've got to start thinking about that. This could, this, we're not all going to, not everyone in this room is going to make it through 2004, regardless of what age you're, you're at. I'll tell you right now. Uh, next year, 2005, I, you know, start of the year, I'll give a message, and some of you won't be here. You'll be in the presence of God. And I don't know which ones. Every year I get blown away. Like, no, not him, not him, not her. You just don't know. And for those that are elderly to start thinking through, am I ready to face him? And what God has me on this earth for a reason. Not just to wait until that day. There's something he's called you to do and to take advantage of that. See, when Doug said to me, hey, you know, what do you want to do? If you could do anything on this earth, what would it be? He goes, no, don't limit yourself by your own abilities. Think through. If, you, if, if sky's the limit, you can do anything, what would it be? Start thinking about it. Start praying about it. And for me, the answer was, well, I would multiply I would multiply what we've got going on here. I'd want to send people all over the place, all around the world, to multiply what we've got going on here at Cornerstone. Train people up to live a life of service where they stand on the Word of God and they refuse to water it down. That's what I do. And, and, and well, well, maybe we can start a college and do something like that. And we grab Tony and, 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 uh, and Chuck and we, you know, we're at lunch and just going, man, what if? What if we started a college and, and just train people up and just every year we're just spitting out 100 students that are just going all around the world just doing something. Isn't that the greatest thing we could do in the world? And then, then after a while we just said, yeah, but you don't just sit at a Mexican restaurant and talk about starting a college. You don't just say, oh, let's start a college and just start it. You know, and all these thoughts go to your head. And then and we go, wait a second, someone had to start UCLA. You know, someone did it. And why not us? It, it, isn't that the way God wants us to think? Isn't that the faith that he wants us to have where we look at something and we go, there's no way humanly I could make this happen. Okay, then I should go for it because I'll need God's help. And, and to say, you know what, this is the year, this is the year. 2004, I believe, is always going to be remembered as the year Eternity Bible College started. I really believe that. It's going to be a monumental year in my life. I have very few monumental years. But I'm tired of, of looking back and going, what did I do that year? What did I do that year? And having them all kind of run together. I want every year to count for something, don't you? So I can think of a few years in my life. I think of 1994 was huge. Huge year in my life. I'll never forget 1994. It was the year I got married. It was a year that we started Cornerstone Church. It was a big year. I mean, just a crazy, crazy year, but I'll never forget it. Where we just said, you know, let's just try this. Let's just do this. 1995, you know, my first daughter was born. I'll never forget that. 1999, my second daughter was born. But there's so many years in between where it's like, okay, what did I, what did I really do there? But where are the landmarks? I just don't want to live another year of life where I go, what did I do? Where did the year go? You see, one of the things that um, 
I did this morning as I, I just thought, you know, I'm going to pray through and thank God for last year again. And I just took the calendar out and started looking at all the dates. And, and after I prayed, I, I started looking at the things that I did. And, and what was cool was looking each month and looking at the things that I didn't regret, that I'm still excited that I did back in January. Things that actually have eternal value. Where I go, you know what? I'm glad I did that. See, there are many days I could say, that was fun, that was fun, that was fun. But what does that mean to me now? Absolutely nothing. But there were times when I go, man, I did something eternal there. I did something eternal there. That had some eternal results. That's going to have some rewards. And I can look and go, man, I'm so glad I invested that. Because now I'm still fired up about those things I did 12 months ago. And I'll be fired up about those things forever. See, they're eternal investments. What have you done that has of any eternal significance? Because that's what fills you up in life. You know, that's what fills up your tanks. You start thinking, man, I remember this, 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 and this, this. I'm going to see that in heaven. Building something in heaven. What did you do? Go through the calendar and do that. What did you do this year? I'm not saying what was fun, what was easy, what was enjoyable. What had eternal significance? What will you forever look back at 2003 and rejoice about? Do you have any plans? you got any plans for this year? Have you thought through? Have you prayed through what, what, what God wants you to do this year? Or is it just another year you're going to survive and just go, okay, let me just get through another year. I mean, my prayer is that 2004 would not be a year of survival, but a year of service. A year where we all just look at ourselves, our stage of life, and say, you know what, there are things I can do right now that I will never be able to do again. God uniquely gifted you, uniquely created you. And there are many of you that maybe last year you were thinking to myself, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to serve this year, I'm going to serve, I'm going to get in the church, I'm going to figure out what my gift is, and I'm not going to make a difference, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you didn't get to it. And it's just another year where, where you've been gonna, gonna, gonna your whole life. Let's make this the year where it's just like, I'm going to do it. I will do it. We all have good intentions. I hear most of us, you know, we, we have good intentions. We plan on doing these things. It's just like when we did the Children's Hunger Fund thing and we all got those boxes. And, you know, we gave out 2,500 boxes. But do you know that 1,500 were returned? So 1,000 are still out there. A thousand people with good intentions, and I say that so it makes you feel better if you have one. You go, okay, 999 other people did the same thing. You know, but at the same time, to just say, okay, you know what? Okay, there's grace. Let's bring it in this week. You know? But, but, but I, I even think with that box, I had good intentions. I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my family together. We're all going to go shop together. I'm going to get all this food, and then we're going to pray about it around the table like they did in the video. You know, and you know, just have this awesome teaching time with my kids about how, look, we're going to help these people. And then it was Saturday, and I was like, oh, that box is due tomorrow. At least I run around, just get it done. Okay, you know, just get it over with. I had all these intentions, all these things I wanted to do and I was going to do. Just ran out of time. I said, would you make this the year where you serve, where you just dream big? Whatever stage of life you're in, man, this is the time to do it. You've got to serve. You have to serve. You have to serve Him. There's no excuses. 
Some of you say, well, you don't understand. My life's kind of messed up and I've made some mistakes. What, what help can I be? Do you know what was the most powerful meeting I was a part of when I was in high school? I had just become a Christian and I'll never forget this one Bible study we had at church. It totally changed my life. And what it was was the youth pastor, he brought in a panel of divorced people in the church. He brought in like eight different people that were divorced. And one at a time, they started to share their story. And each one looked us in the eyes and said, don't you ever do this. This is the most miserable thing you can go through on this earth. They said, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. And they said, my marriage wasn't good or this or that, but once I divorced, man, life was just horrible. And I remember sitting there as a high schooler going, really? It's that bad? I never really talked to someone. I never really heard from someone. And that's imprinted in my mind. I can still see their faces today talking and warning us as high schoolers that, yeah, I messed up. I ruined my marriage. I left the family. I did this. I did that. And they talk about a lifetime of regret. I'll never forget that day. You see, God's... I'm not saying that, you know, it was God's will for those people to do all that. I'm just saying that at that point in their life, they realized, yeah, I made some mistakes. But whatever's gone on in my life, I'm going to use it for God's glory now. And I encourage that this would be the year that you do that. Would you serve? It's a joy serving God. It really is. I don't want to make it like this downer. Oh, yeah, you need to serve. We need help in every area. But I want to show you that it's, it's an absolute blast to serve God. And you can use your gifts in so many different ways. In fact, I don't think there's anything more fulfilling than when you find out what you're gifted at. And you just start using it. And you realize, wow, there's going to be results of this in eternity. Our high school ministry, they were looking for people to help with the high school group, so they made this video, and they showed it to the college ministry, you know, to try to recruit helpers, and, man, it was so funny, it was so good, that I said, you know, let me show that to the church. Okay, so here's a two-minute DVD of uh, the, the high school ministry um, recruiting people like you. Help 
For just the equivalent of dollars a week, you can help get in and change the life of one of these great youngsters. I got five on it. Join the Rock High School Ministry, because together, we can make a difference. <laughs> All right. As you can see, we need help. <laughs> you know, there's just so many different areas where we can use your help. Um, but, but, you know, if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, because I, I want to explain something to you. We don't want to just get a bunch of people just out doing stuff just because you're told to do it. Okay, Nehemiah, if you know anything about his life, you, you know, he, he's the guy that rebuilt Jerusalem. Okay, this guy is like single-handedly really turned this, this whole city around. Um, and, and you read about the story. I just want to read the first few verses of Nehemiah chapter 1. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 2, listen to what happens. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Okay, Nehemiah asked these men, he says, hey, what's, what's going on there in Jerusalem? What's going on with the Jewish people? You know, they're, they're out of the exile, right? You know, the Persians are letting them back into their city. What's it like over there? And these people say, it's, it's terrible. It's a disgrace. You've got these people back in their land, but there's no wall to protect them. The city, you know, the gates have been burned. And, and Nehemiah hears these words, and it says he sat down and wept. Do you picture that? Picture that in your mind. This guy hearing this news about what's going on in Jerusalem, he just falls down in his seat and just starts to bawl. Then he says he mourned. And for days he mourned and fasted. He didn't even eat. This, this news was so troubling to him and it broke his heart so much he didn't even eat. He spent that time in prayer to God saying, God, something's got to change. As he's mourning, weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem, over its walls, its cities not being built. And then he begins to pray. And in chapter 1, you've got this prayer of Nehemiah. In fact, let's read verse, uh, verse 5. So after he's, he's weeping, he's been fasting, he's praying. In verse 5, he goes, Then I said, O Lord... God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. 
I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are, as, are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah prays this prayer and says, God, look, I know we messed up. I know we walked away from you. And you even told us that if we're unfaithful to you, that you're going to remove us from this land. But he says, God, but you remember also that you said that if we were faithful and we came back to you and we repented, that you would rebuild it and everything else. And he says, so that's what I'm asking for. And he says, you know, give me favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about the king. He goes, give me presence, you know, favor in the presence of the king. And he prays this prayer, and then shortly after the king, you know, the very next uh, chapter is about the king coming to Nehemiah and saying, why do you look so sad? And Nehemiah says to the king, I'm sad because of Jerusalem and the state with, it, with which it's in. He says, but can you help me? Can you give me a decree that would allow me to go back there and rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates and get this city back the way it ought to be? And the king says, yes, and gives him this decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And then the rest of the book of Nehemiah is about this guy who goes back to the city and he actually does it. And it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy at all. He goes and, and, and there's, there's passages where it talks about how the, the workers, you know, on one hand, they're holding a weapon. On the other hand, they're holding a hammer. And it talks about these people trying to attack them, trying to mock them, trying to get rid of, you know, what they're doing. And, and his whole life is this, is this struggle to get the city rebuilt. But here we are thousands of years later studying about Nehemiah and what he did and how he did it. It wasn't easy. And I bring this story up because I, I ask, well, why can't you be the next Nehemiah? Or why can't I? Honestly, what, what keeps us from being someone like that that they'll read about if the Lord tarries for 3,000 years, which I highly doubt. But, you know, the whole idea is, why, why couldn't I be? Why couldn't you be? We can all look at ourselves and get depressed, okay? Anyone can do that. No matter how great you think you are, you start looking at yourself long enough, you just go, man, I can't do anything right. But that's the whole point. That's what God does, is He uses ordinary people who could never do it by themselves. But people whose hearts are broken. Do you see that re response of Nehemiah? Have you ever wept like that for anything? See, we're not telling you, you know, hey, just, just go, go, go help the kids over there. There's a bunch of kids over there, there's like a thousand kids, go and just babysit them, take care of them, do something. No, that's not what we're saying. We don't want people to go and do that. We want people whose hearts are broken over the kids. And to say, you know what, there are some kids over there in the classroom right now that will not be with us at the end of the year. I'm not talking about death, I mean, that may happen as well. But for some of them, this is the year their parents are going to call it quits. And just leave God all together or, or call it quits for their marriage. And one's going to take a kid here, one's going to take one there. And those kids are going to go through it. And they won't be here at the end of the year. And we want some of you to say, you know, my heart breaks for that. 
My heart breaks for some of these kids that maybe neither of their, their parents really give them any attention. You know, and they're just too busy for them. Maybe I could give them some time and build them in their life for your heart to actually break over these things. That's what we want. And for you to say, okay, so let me pray. Let me be like Nehemiah. I'm broken over it. I want to do something. And, and maybe that God would give me a group of eight to ten kids that I could actually get in their life this year. And this will be the year I actually make a difference in someone's life. To build in, to care for them, and tell them about what life is all about. Even at that young age. And then to go out and do it. Just like Nehemiah did. And it's not going to be easy. See, but so often we worship comfort. We really do. When someone asks you, hey, how was your year? You think back, okay, how fun was it? How comfortable was it? How easy was it? If it was easy, made some money, it was a good year. See, that's the problem with our, you know, we we joke around about, you know, the needs in Simi Valley. But the truth is, is we have a far greater need. Is we're so blinded by our materialism and we're so blinded by worship of comfort that a lot of times we don't even realize that there's more to life than that. And, and you know what, what my heart breaks over? Is, is the fact that many of us are going to stand before God and be absolutely blown away. My heart breaks over that because we think that everything is going so well. Why? Because it's easy. It's comfortable. And that's what we pursue. That's what we chase. Then we're going to stand before God and say, what would you do with your life? I don't know. But it kept getting easier. I just kept acquiring more for myself and was able to retire and take it as easy as ever. I mean, that's the American dream. We just want life to be easy. And you guys, that's not necessarily the best. I mean, you read James 1 and you realize it's, it's the, the trials, it's the difficult times in life that build, into, build character into us. See, I'm going to ask you to pray in a moment. Okay? I'm going to ask you to pray, but I, I, I want to know, you know, think through, are you willing to pray to God... And ask Him for character this year, even if it comes at the expense of comfort. Honestly, are you willing to say, Lord, in 2004, I just want to know You more. I just want to be more mature and complete like Your Word talks about. I just want to get some things done that are of eternal value, even if it's difficult, because I want that type of character. And I want to do something huge this year. So even if it's difficult, do it through me. Are you willing to pray that? See, many people are scared to pray that prayer. We don't like when Paul says, well, I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. We go, eh, let's, let's skip that part. You know, we, we don't want it to be hard. And yet there is such a satisfaction in working hard and doing something that's eternal. This is a year we, we want everyone serving God and not just surviving the year. Whether it's children's ministry, maybe it's youth ministries with our junior hires, maybe go, man, that was an important stage in my life. I want to go and just meet with a group of kids. A lot of them, their parents don't go to church, don't have any church upbringing. They're lost. Maybe some high schoolers where you look at some high school students and say, you know what, I, I want to build into their lives. Or some college students that say, you know, maybe I'll even take in some college students. Maybe I have nowhere to live and really show them a Christian home. Maybe I want to build into their lives and help them to avoid some of the mistakes I made. Prepare them for marriage rather than wait until it's too late. And all the problems come. Or maybe you are one of those. that You want to be a counselor. You want to be this. You want to be that. Just do something. 
but have your heart break over something and pray for something and make this a year that counts. Are you willing to pray that prayer? See, after service, we're, we're going to have a bunch of opportunities out there in the lobby. Do you know that we're planning over 30... Right now we have 35 missions trips planned. Okay, for 2004. Our desire is that at least a thousand of you go somewhere this year. Okay, down to Mexico for a weekend. Just to get out of Simi Valley. Get out of Moore Park and see what the world's really like. You know, go into the inner city. There's just so many different opportunities. We want, or we just have a ton of opportunities for you to do something. And not just attend church for the year, but to make this the year. Are you willing to pray, God, do something through me, whatever it takes, no matter how hard it is, because I need to do something with my life. I need my character to grow, not just my comfort level. For some of you, um, you look back at 2003 and it was an awful year for you. 2003 maybe was the year that your family did fall apart. Maybe 2003 will forever be remembered as a year you got addicted to alcohol. Maybe that was a year you got stuck on pornography. You finally started looking on the web and now you're hooked. So many things. Where you went back to the bitterness, the rage, the anger at someone. You broke up relationships. 2003, you look back and go, man, what, a, what an awful year in my life. My character went the opposite direction. And all these things that seem like they were going to be fun at the time, now you realize they're making you miserable and it doesn't work. Man, I pray that today is a day that you just say, okay, it didn't work. I want God back. I want to get rid of these things. I want to start this year off differently.